0: All right, Romans chapter 8, if you have your notes from last week, you definitely pull those out, because if the review goes quick, that's always good. All right, Romans chapter 8, And Romans chapter 8, we are now, we've just, starting last week, um, I'm going to move from Galatians, I'm going to mark that, since that was an important study that we just did. All right, Romans chapter 8, we are at the section where we are looking at what? Six important words, right? Six important words. And those six words are, let's see if you can do it without looking, foreknowledge. Everybody should get that one, okay? Foreknowledge. What is the second one? If you don't know, look. Okay, predestined or predestinated, right? Predestination. Called. Justification. Glorified. Glorified elect. All right. Very good. These are words every Christian should know, and every Christian has to deal with. Look, here's the thing. I. It sometimes it just drives me crazy. Um, in some churches, and in the minds of some Christians, they're just like. If you, if you even start talking about some of these words, well, I'm not a Calvinist and I don't care. Well, just because you're not a Calvinist doesn't mean the words are not in the Bible. (laughs) Okay. I'm not a Calvinist. Election doesn't mean election. Foreknowledge doesn't mean foreknowledge and predestination doesn't mean predestination. But I'm not a Calvinist. Okay. Here's the key. Don't call yourself a Calvinist. Call yourself a Bible student and deal with the words that are in the text. There you go. What a novel idea, right? It's not about being a Calvinist. It's about that these words are in the Bible and they mean something, yes? And so we got to figure out what they mean and how we understand them. So last week, we started with which, which word? For knowledge, for knowledge or for, for new, right? Okay, now, we, we did a couple of things. We looked up the Bible dictionary, did we not? Okay, now, I'm not going to go back and read everything we had. What conclusions... Did we come to, we did a couple of things. Remember, we looked up the Greek word? Yes? Okay. It's used five times. Very good. And simply put, what were the conclusions we came to in last week's study about the word foreknowledge? What can we be absolutely dogmatic about before we even get to any controversies? Foreknowledge, a couple of things. I think I gave you three things. Knowledge. Knowledge, whoa, that's deep. Okay, number two, knowledge beforehand. Number three, and it can mean foreordained, which leads to all kinds of issues, yes? But that's not, it doesn't, make sure we understand this. Just because a truth causes confusion, problems, difficulty, just because a truth is misused by some people, doesn't mean the truth is not truth. Does everybody understand that? You go into a doctor's office, and the doctor has looked at the test, and it's like, this person has stage four cancer, they're not going to make it long. It, does anybody want that truth? Does anybody like that truth? Could someone possibly take that truth, immediately walk out of the building, commit a crime, or run in front of a bus? Yes! Does it change the fact that it's true? No, I want to make sure we, So it's only in Christianity we do that. Well, well, if that is true, people could do this and people could do this and people, okay, well just, so therefore, let's forget about the truth because we need a truth that will make everyone do what's right or do, the, it's not the way it works. When I open the Bible, what do I need to figure out? What is true? And then it's up to me to hopefully uh, handle the truth accordingly. But mishandling of a truth does not change the fact that something is true. This is the same argument that always shows up when people talk about uh, when a person becomes saved. Are they eternally secure or can they lose their salvation? And the people who believe you can lose your eternal salvation, what do they always say to the people who believe you're in eternal security? Well, if you believe in eternal security, then that's going to lead people doing what? I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. So, because they believe the doctrine leads to bad behavior, then we need to throw out the doctrine. It doesn't, even if everyone uses the doctrine in an incorrect way, it's, we can't change it if it's true. Does that make sense? All right, that's like, ah, sometimes I think Christians have lost their minds when it comes to how to handle truth. So, those three words are very important. Now, what we're going to do, I know we can move on to the next word, but we're going to back up. We're going we're to look at this again from a different source. We used the Bible dictionary. Now I'm going to use some other sources. And we're going to work through this one more time, try to make sure we have a good grasp, and then I'm going to show you where the controversy is. All right? Because th- th- there's, a, there's one major controversy with this word. You should probably already know what it is, but let's go through this. Everybody ready? All right. Foreknowledge. Now, you can, you can just, new notes, forget your previous definitions. Let's see what they do with this, all right? Here we go. Foreknowledge is knowing things or events before they exist or happen. What is foreknowledge? Knowing things or events before they exist, before they exist or happen. Make sure you have exist written down as well. Now, why is this significant? Uh, a dictionary, I don't remember which which source. I didn't write down the source, but from some article on foreknowledge, okay. All right? So, why, what, now what is significant about this e- simple definition given to us here? Let me ask the question again, all right? Because this is important. If, oh, let's, now this foreknowledge we believe belongs to whom? God, right? Everyone would agree with that? Okay, yes, all right. Now, if... How long has God existed? Forever. So how long has that knowledge existed? Unless you believe God didn't have the knowledge and then gained the knowledge, which means he wasn't God and then became, okay, there's all kinds of issues with that, right? So if God has always known something before anything happens, then the question is, what God knows is going to happen, does it have to happen? Yes. All right, so then that gets into a whole question. What, what do you start call, calling into question at that moment? How how, how free will, right? How free is someone if God knows something's going to happen before? Now, what? how do people usually try to get around this? That God looked down the tunnel of time, saw what someone was going to do, and then acted based off what he saw them doing. Now, there's a lot of issues with this one for God to look down would be he's looking down to learn something there's problem number one and problem number two if God is acting based off what we do then we are controlling whom God all right do so you have a lot of major issues here but that's this is a basic definition but just keep that in mind all right let's let's work our way through this okay um, in Greek the term for foreknowledge is is, now they they give this Greek word, what we, we get the word prognosis, all right, which expresses the idea of knowing reality before it is real and events before they occur. Now the word forno in, uh, Romans 8, it's a different Greek word, but it's similar. Remember we looked at it last week. Do we, do we need to go back and, is everybody good with it? Okay, I just want to make sure. All right. Um, in Christian theology, here we go, you ready? In Christian theology, foreknowledge refers to the all-knowing, omniscient nature of God whereby he knows reality before it is real, all things and events before they happen, and all people before they exist. All right, so what does God know? He knows reality before it's what? Before it's real. He knows all things and events before they happen and he knows all people before they exist. Everybody got that? So God knows reality before it is real. He knows all things and events before they happen and he knows all people before they exist. Everybody got that? Right? That gives us an idea. So God knows everything. Right? Reality, events, and people. And he knows it all before any of it exists and before anything happens. That's pretty significant. Okay? Now, both Old and New Testament speak of God's foreknowledge. Nothing in the future is hidden from God's eyes. Everybody ready to look up some verses? Let's go to the book of Isaiah. All right, book of Isaiah. And let's look up a couple of passages. Now, why is it significant to look up all of these verses? Well, it's important to look up, well, it's not even the definition. It's important to establish that the idea of foreknowledge is a biblical concept. And the reason we have to the reason we have to be so redundant on doing this is because as soon as you start talking foreknowledge, Someone, you've got Christian friends will be like, no, no, stop, stop, stop. I don't believe in all that Calvinistic stuff. They need to understand we're not, we don't take this from Calvin. We're going to take the concept from Scripture. So we have to establish that the idea of foreknowledge is clearly found where? In Scripture. I can go right back to the church library and pull out Calvin's institutes and I can start quoting from Calvin. Okay, I can quote from Westminster Confession, London Baptist Confession, but that, that's, that's the source of all of the disagreement. If the Bible says God has foreknowledge, then God has foreknowledge whether I like it or not. Does that make sense? So that's why we're looking, that's why I'm gonna take the time to be redundant here and look at these scriptures. All right, Isaiah 41. The first one they want us to offer in this dictionary is Isaiah 41:23. Isaiah 41:23. 23. Say amen when you're there. All right. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll go if we'll go to verse twenty two, Isaiah forty one twenty two, so that you can see this. Uh, Let him bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Now the idea here is if you're going to be God, what do you need to know? You need to know what's coming before. You need to know what's coming after. If something's going to be a God, it has to have what? Knowledge. And knowledge of what? Past, present, and then... uh, Ms. Goodlick just said it, future, all right? You've got to know it all. Does that make sense? All right, so we would argue that God, because he is God, he knows everything, correct? Isaiah 42, verse nine. Yep, 42, nine. All right, look, go back to verse eight for context. Isaiah 42, eight, I am the Lord that is my name and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. What does that indicate? He is God and he knows what's going to happen before it happens. And when he says it's going to happen, what happens? It happens. Why, why are we so confident when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen? because he knows everything that's going to happen. Everybody got that? All right, go to Isaiah 44. Isaiah chapter 44, verse six. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who... As I shall call and should declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid, have I told thee from that time and have declared it. Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Now what's the idea? God knows, not only does he know knows everything that's going to happen, he declares, and what else does he do? Look at verse 7. He shall call and shall declare it and do what? Set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming. In other words, he has set everything to work what? His way, his purpose. He, if, he, if he brings up a political leader, he set that person there for what? To do things the way he wanted Yes? All right. That, again, we don't always like that. That raises some major philosophical questions, but that's what's being declared. And then uh, chapter 46, verse 10. All right. Uh, Isaiah, we'll go to Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows everything. I think you're getting the idea. Yes? This dictionary says this. God sees our lives, our bodies, and our days even before we are conceived. And then look at Psalm 139, 15 through 16. Yeah, Psalm 139, verses 15 through 16. And tell me if this sounds familiar. All right, I'm going to read the, the way they quote it. You, everybody looking at Psalm 139, 15 through 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Is that pretty similar? Yes. What does that indicate? God knew you before you existed. Your days, your, your days were already numbered by whom? By God. Right? This, this, this demonstrates knowledge, demonstrates everything else. Now, there's a lot of other scriptures here. I'm just going to read some of the other things he has to say here because of time. Because I, I think we've already established God knows everything, but here, here's some more. God promised to bless future peoples through Abraham. Would everyone agree that's true? That's Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Now, how could he how could he promise to do that? He could promise to do that because he knew he was going to do it, and he knew it was going to happen. And could anything stop what God said was going to happen? No. I want to make. Can, can someone stop what God says is going to happen? No, all right, that, that, uh, there was a pause there, like you yeah, were thinking about it. okay, I don't, No, if something could stop God, then who would be greater? Whatever that is, All right. God told Moses what would happen with Pharaoh, Exodus 3:19. Did it happen? All right. Through God's foreknowledge, the prophet spoke of a coming Messiah. Did he show up? All right? Through Daniel, God made known the future and fall of kingdoms, Daniel 2. Uh, chapter 30, uh, G- Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 uh, to 45. I think we can all agree that is there, right? And in many New Testament passages, Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ's ministry and in the formation of the church. Do we not read in the New Testament, well, this was written, this was, st- and it comes to pass. How could that all work? God knew, God ordained it, God carried it out. The Apostle Paul teaches that God's foreknowledge of his son's sacrificial death long before Jesus died. Jesus' death on the cross was part of God's eternal plan of salvation before the creation of the world. On the day of Pentecost, Peter condemns those who put Christ to death, but at the same time, he points to the sovereignty of God. And he said, and it reads, They had been given free reign to do as they wished with Christ because of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Look at Acts 2.23. Acts 2.23. These are two verses. I want to make sure everyone get the, these two down. All right. All of those ones in Isaiah are good, but I want you to have these two down because this is so important. All right. Acts 2.23, everyone there? All right. If you go to verse 22, you'll know who's being referred to. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 23, him, speaking of Jesus, being delivered by what? The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. All right? What what happened to Jesus was what? Foreordained. However, the people's actions that carried it out are condemned. Condemned. Everybody see that? You've got to bring those two together. Right? you got to bring it. Do you like that? Okay, I don't like it either. Because you're like, wait a minute, if it was for ordain, then why can't the people who did it be blamed? Now, we can agree that they carried it out because of their own sinful nature and desire. He just allowed that sinful nature and desire to do what it wanted to do. But he knew what it was going to do, and he knew what it was going to do because he ordained it to happen, and it had to happen. Right. Everyone got that one? And then one other, go to Acts four twenty-eight. All right, we'll go for uh, we'll go to Acts four twenty-seven for context. For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatever. All of these people were gathered together to do what? Whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They gathered together, and what did they do? What God determined to happen. Right? God determined to happen. And again, how can he determine it happen beforehand? Because he knows everything. He knows everything. He ordains everything. And everything works after his purpose and his plan. Does anyone like that? Sometimes you may, sometimes you may not. All right? Three more paragraphs. The Bible teaches that God's children, now here we go. Now, this is where the context, this is where we're going to get into controversy. The Bible teaches that God's children were chosen beforehand, and God's foreknowledge was involved. The elect are those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Write down 1 Peter 1 2, because this is a very important passage where all the debate is going to come up here in a minute. All right? 1 Peter 1 2. Everybody there? Got just write it down. You don't have we can look at it in a minute. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You're going to write down Romans 8 29, which that's where we we've started. All right. So far, so good. Now, let's stop right here. When I was in my first Bible Institute, all right, I'm in my first Bible Institute. Um, I'm all excited. I'm studying. I'm studying all kinds of things, but I'm not satisfied with just going to one school because one school is never enough, right? I need more schools. So I'm going to three others right, or two others. I'm going to Grace uh, Grace University, and I'm also doing uh, the Family Radio School of the Bible. So I'm going to three schools because, you know, you know, why not, right? Go to as many schools as you can because, you know, there's never enough school, all right? So I'm doing as much learning as I can possibly learn, right? And somewhere in the midst of all of this learning, I start realizing this concept of election, foreknowledge, predestination. You know, hey, it's in the Bible, right? So I, should I not be allowed to study it? You would think so, okay. So it's I think it's Becca's second birthday, maybe first birthday there's there there will used to be video of it. Uh you can see that there's like the people from the church are over. There's Becca. I don't know what she's doing. And I'm in the living room, and you can see there's books everywhere. And there's some of the men of the church and her who also are in the Bible Institute with me. And I'm like, hey, I was looking at this and I was looking at, it. and I'm like, I'm talking doctor, I'm talking theology. I'm all excited. I'm like, oh man, I got someone to talk doctor in theology with. This is great. They probably were like, shut up, we don't care. But I was like, let's talk about it. Okay. It, the birthday party ends, and I'm like, "Well, that was pretty good. That was that was a good birthday. That that was great. That was fun having everybody over." Phone rings. It's the pastor. Hey, I I need you to come to the church. Okay. Now, if you if, if you've ever been an independent fundamental Baptist, if you get a call to come to the church, is it ever because they're going to give you a reward? Okay, got to tell you, no. You always know that you're in trouble. All right. So I go to the church. Right. Okay, and I walk in, and when I walk in, guess who is there? There's the pastor sitting behind the desk, and guess who is sitting right next to his desk? The men are at the birthday party. Oh, this is not good. Guess what I'm getting called then for? Because I'm a heretic. I'm a Calvinist. Now, I had never even said I was a Calvinist. I, never, I was studying it, trying to figure it all out. Part of the problem was the church itself made a mistake because every month they put in, the front, of the, uh, in front of the pulpit, up, up at the altar, they put these booklets from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. There were a sermon and some devotionals. Well, if they give me free material, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it, right? So I went home and I was like, oh, this Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I was reading, 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 reading. I had them marked up. I had them everything. And guess what? One of the sermons was called Election. <laughs> So, I'm like, so obviously this church is not against it, right? Okay, so next thing you know, I'm, so the conversation starts going and they keep saying things and I I keep correcting them. I'm like, that's not correct. That's not correct. That's not, and it's not that I'm trying to correct that the Calvinist side is right. I'm like, if you're going to speak about Calvinism, could you possibly know what you're talking about, right? Could you get it right? And before it was over, guess what happened? I had been kicked. Out of the Bible Institute because I was a Calvinist. I couldn't teach in the church. I was removed from basically everything. All right, so it was like this is ugly. What am I going to do? What I'm going to do? And I'm all I'm thinking is like you know I'm never going to get into the ministry. This is crazy. How did this happen to me? And I and all ticked off and mad. So guess what? I ultimately had to do. <laughs> I, th- this is all I had to recant. This is so crazy, right? I remember having like just major arguments with them because they were trying to tell me that like words meant something. I'm like, I had the strongest concordance. Like, that's what the word means. <laughs> okay, stop telling. It, it was like the forever argument. Like, it's like, this is what the word means. But it didn't matter. So here's what I had to agree. This is how, I, and once I agreed on this, I was back in good graces. This is so ridiculous. That God elects according to foreknowledge. If I said that, I'm good to go. Based off what two scriptures? First Peter. Let's look at it. First Peter two. Or first yeah. First Peter one. Yeah. Go to First Peter. There are two scriptures, and they felt that this solved all the problems. <laughs> first Peter chapter one verse two elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Right? Go to Romans 8:29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. All right. Why do you think they that in their minds fix the problem? If I agree to that, I'm a good, I'm good guy. If I don't agree with that, I'm a bad guy. Now, I don't know how I can disagree with something that's right there in the scriptures. Okay, I'm like, sure, I agree with that. Well, it's there. Mr. Goodluck probably knows what they do with this. Okay, It, it has everything to do with how they, how they believe that if you say I'm elect according to foreknowledge, it, it gives me freedom. Okay, say it. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is the way they understood. Elect according to foreknowledge means this. Okay. Here's God. He's way over here. He looks down. He sees Emma. He's like, Oh, Emma's going to choose me because Emma's going to choose me. Then I will elect her because of foreknowledge. Since his foreknowledge lets me know that lets God know what Emma's going to do, then He's going to choose Emma. But reality, Emma did the choosing. <laughs> do i because he knows the end results he's only going he's going to then i don't like he knows the end results, so he's going to elect based off what emma does so therefore who's really doing the electing it's emma doing the electing yeah yeah well all, foreknowledge does not mean foreordain they definitely now it means foreordain when it comes to christ dying on the cross but it doesn't mean foreordained when it comes to salvation. Okay, so for they got no problem saying Christ was foreordained to go to the cross, right? Would I agree? Because they're from the same kind of church background, right? They would no problem with that. But if I move foreordained now to Emma getting saved, whoa! God does not foreordain who gets saved. God knows who's going to get saved. And because knowing that Emma's going to get saved, then he's going to choose Emma, which I don't know why he needs to choose Emma if Emma's going to already choose him. Why does he need to choose her? I don't even under, it's it's an election with no... They're trying to preserve your freedom. Ah, there you go. Because if God elected you, then why didn't he elect, you know... All of your sisters, okay, right? right, 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 okay, right okay. Why did Emma, the only one, get elected? I don't know, okay, okay. Told... Okay, right, that, yeah, that's how they would see it. Yeah, that's how I would see it. Same thing you're some to be elected. Then you're foreordaining some not to be. And they can't tolerate that. So as long as I said, yeah, election is according to foreknowledge, what they were actually saying is election is not according to foreknowledge. They were saying election is according to what? Foreseen faith. Foreseen faith. All right? Now, that doesn't work in... in, Well, we'll we'll just keep that... We're going to read about some possible problems with this. This is where... This is why we have to study foreknowledge. So, when it comes to foreknowledge, let's make sure we understand. Does every Christian believe that God has foreknowledge? Yes. Right? Other than maybe open theist, I think I said open theology. Uh, I was listening to the audio and I was like, why did I say open theology? Open theism, okay? I don't know why I said open theology, but uh, when, I, when I hear something, when I go back and listen to my sermons, I'm like, why did I say it that way? Okay, But uh, open theism would be one saying that God doesn't know everything. But for the most part, everyone believes God has foreknowledge. The problem with foreknowledge is they don't like foreknowledge to be connected with foreordaining, because that's determining beforehand. So don't like that. And the major issue is God can, God can foreordain and have foreknowledge on every area, but when it comes to someone's salvation, we got to rework this. God doesn't foreordain. He simply knows beforehand. And because he knows that you're going to do something, God acts based off your doing. Now, there's all kinds of issues with this, Right? What, well, yeah, yeah that's, that's a whole separate issue, right? Yeah, because we, we don't even believe that we can have faith without God giving it to us, but that's a different issue. So here becomes the problem. Even if you try to work this out from a logical standpoint, it begins to fall apart. Because again, did God learn that Emma was going to choose him? He knew it before, and because he knew it before Emma existed, did Emma have any choice but to choose him? No. So therefore, not only did God, because God knows it beforehand, then in a sense it's determined beforehand. And if it's determined beforehand, then it wasn't Emma doing the determining. It was God doing the de- You see how it begins to fall apart? Now people get upset and go, you're a Calvinist. Run, run. Okay. Have we mentioned Calvin? Have we read Calvin? We're trying to deal with the meaning of a Greek word, Yes. And what did we find out about the meaning of the Greek word? It's used five times. And what are one of the ways it's used? And foreordain. You cannot leave out the foreordain. And we see it right there in that. You see why the Acts passages are so important? Did God know Christ was going to be crucified? But it goes beyond just saying that he knew it. He ordained it. That's the issue. All right. Does that make sense? All right, not only that, very, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll build on this in a second. Okay, I'm gonna to try to go through this as quickly. So does everybody understand the controversy? Does everybody understand the controversy? So, so think of it. Christianity is divided in basically two camps when it comes to foreknowledge, or three camps, right? Camp one, God has foreknowledge, and that foreknowledge is he knows what everyone's going to do, but He not not only does he know it, he ordains it, he predetermines it, he works through it, he's in charge, and when it comes to someone's salvation, God knows and God has ordained and God chooses who will be saved. All right? So this is the foreknowledge, like foreknowledge means no, it means ordain, means it it, it applies to salvation, applies to every area. Camp number two is like God has foreknowledge. He knows everything. He determines what's going to happen. But when it comes to salvation, he doesn't foreordain. And he, and almost in a way, he looks to see what you're going to do. And then he acts based off what you do. So this begins to destroy the meaning of foreknowledge. And then you go a step further. And what's the third camp? Now we go from the Goodlitz old church to the Dazzler's old church. What was taught at your church? Open theism. Oh, and that third camp says what? That was the third. The heretic and the guy was kicked out. Right? But anyway, right to another church, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But and what does it teach? God doesn't know everything. God doesn't know everything, and he's learning. All right? So, those are three basic ways. Now, I reject open theism completely. This middle of the ground way, I reject it because it just is not consistent. And Bobby's already pointed out the major problem is if if this is true that God just looks down through time and says, "Hey, Emma's going to choose me." Well, then why does the Bible tell me that Emma's faith is a gift from God? Yeah, well, the Bible says it is, okay? Emma, if she has faith in God, it's not because she is smarter than her sister over here, okay? I mean, she may be, I don't know, that we could have some kind of fight to prove that. Okay, it's not because she's, I'm assuming she's probably not more moral than Lydia, right? Okay, we're not getting the parents to give me a <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> okay, okay, she's not more moral. I, I'm assuming she's not. Now, Emma may, or, or Lydia may do better job hiding the immorality and, Emma may be more bold than Emma. We're not ever the case. She's not better. She's not smarter. The reason she has faith is not because her parents did a better job, right? Because you did the same job with all of them. They're all over the place, right? Okay? So what would be the reason Emma has faith? Because God gave her faith. It's a gift from God. So if that is true, then guess what? If that part is true, then guess what? The foreknowledge is not just knowing, it's ordaining. And God is then going to give the faith to the one. You see what it makes sense? So let's just, and so you see that the second camp just doesn't work for me. So that's why I'm over here in the other camp. I'm not in this camp because of Calvin. I'm not in this camp because of Spurgeon. Spurgeon. I'm in this camp because I've got a word that i got to figure out what the word means. And what does the word mean? God knows, God knows beforehand, and God ordains. So I'm stuck. (laughs) I'm stuck right there. And all I can do is then go with, do I like it always? No. All right? But everyone understand, that's the divide. That's the divide. You go into a church, you go into a church, and guess what? They're going to believe one of those three things about foreknowledge. They're going to believe one of those three things. Everybody got that? Now, let's try to finish this up. Quarter 1206. Got to hurry, got to hurry, got to hurry. All right. Now, listen carefully. God's choice of the elect was not simply based on his foreknowledge of events. It was based on his good pleasure. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Does anybody know where that comes from? Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. So God's election is not simply on just foreknowledge. It's on what? His good pleasure and his good will. But let's make it very clear. For God to elect Emma, he has to know what? For God to elect Emma, he has to know what? It's not, this is like who's buried in Grant's tomb. This is pretty simple, okay? For God to elect Emma, okay, <laughs> Has to know Emma! There we go. So why is election according to foreknowledge? Because his knowledge precedes everything, right? Okay, all right. Has everybody got that? He has to know- you can't elect someone you don't know, correct? I mean you don't go to a ballot box and say, hey, elect! Well, who am I electing? Well, we're not gonna tell you right now. You just put in your vote. Wait. Okay, just put it, you don't need to know who, but who am I voting for? It doesn't matter. Okay, God is electing us based off He knows us. And how does He know us? He knows everything. Yes? Okay, alright. Does that make sense? So, I don't, I don't, people think, oh, look, He said elect according to foreknowledge. He's not a Calvinist. <laughs> no. Everyone, anyone who believes in election believes it's according to foreknowledge because God knows everything before it happens. Does that make any sense? Okay. Oh. Drives me, it, it, I don't understand why it's so complicated, but okay, all right. And Romans 11.2, go ahead and look at Romans 11.2 real quick. Oh, we gotta hurry, we gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Romans 11.2, right? This is referring to Israel, Yes. OK, divine foreknowledge suggests an eternal connection between God and his chosen or foreknown people because of his loving faithfulness. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknow. The foreknowledge is, seems to also imply more than just knowing. It's a connection. There's a connection here. He foreknew Emma has a connection because he chose and therefore he cannot reject her because he chose her. And because he knew her beforehand, all right? Does that understand? The knowledge almost can carry the idea of an intimacy with it as well, all right? Here we go. The foreknowledge of God is far more than his ability to see the future. His foreknowledge is a true knowing of what will come to pass based on his free choice. He decrees what will come to pass. In other words, foreknowledge is not just intellectual, it's personal and relational Foreknowledge is equivalent to foreordination and that God ordains and orders all that will be. Did everyone hear that? Foreknowledge is not just what? Intellectual, what is it? Personal and relational, foreknowledge is equivalent to what word? Foreordination and that God does what? Ordains and orders all that will be. Now, does that lead to all kinds of problems? Yeah, yeah. It, it leads. It, it, no, I just want to make sure it uh, it it leads to uh, some major philosophical problems. I'm not saying there's an easy solution. All right. Now, I'm going to end with this. Right? because there's, I've got two quotes from two uh, theologians who try to look at this idea, going, okay, wait. The Arminian side is the one that tries to say, God knows, but God doesn't choose or ordains. Right? That's kind of the Arminian side, right? The Calvinistic side is the one that God knows, God elects, God ordains everything that comes to pass. Right, And this goes back to which subject that we spent like six weeks studying before we even got to the six words? Providence, God's providence, Right? Remember why we looked at all of that? Right. See, if once you establish God's providence, this is not that controversial, is it? It shouldn't be. But so so to reject God electing, you have to reject God. Almost, you, Ultimately, you end up basically rejecting God's knowledge and you destroy God's providence. And so God's not really ordaining or in charge of anything. So I don't know how prophecy came to pass. And I don't, I mean, I've got all kinds of issues at that point, right? I don't know how he can work all things according to good because God's not in charge of anything. I don't know how he could sub- subject the world to vanity and hope because he wouldn't have no clue how it's going to work out. You see, you basically what you ultimately do, you destroy God. Now you destroy, I want to make sure we understand this. The issue with the whole argument, when everybody wants to argue about election and Calvinism, it's not an argument about election and Calvinism. It's an argument about who God is. And to reject the correct understanding... I I don't care that you're not a Calvinist. You're not even a Christian in the sense that you've destroyed God being God. Now, they'll say, no, 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 no. They're very, they'll contradict themselves. They'll say all the right words about God. And then all of a sudden, once you get to salvation, God stops being God. And then who becomes God? There you go. So this is not an issue about Calvinism. This is an issue about who God is. I cannot stress that enough. I cannot stress that enough. All right, here's two things. I'm going to read these quickly as I can, all right? I wanted more time to do this, but that's okay. All right, here we go. Uh, This is by John Frame. It's called Foreknowledge and the Free Will of Men. The doctrine that God foreordains and directs all events is generally regarded as Calvinistic. And I am not embarrassed to be called a Calvinist. However, other Christian traditions also accept this doctrine, sometimes in spite of themselves. Take Arminians, for example. The Arminian makes much of human free will, insisting that our free decisions, especially those of religious significance, are not foreordained or otherwise determined by God. He seeks thereby to reinforce the doctrine of human responsibility, a doctrine in which in itself... Uh, the Calvinist has no quarrel, but the Arminian also recognizes that God foreknows the future exhaust- exhaustively, and that he has created the world knowing that the, what the future will bring. So Arminians typically claim that God knows everything, and he created the world knowing what would happen. Now, this is why some Arminians become open theists, because once you start believing these things, your whole system falls apart, right? But let's, let's see what they do with this. For example, before the foundation of the world, God knew, and I'm just going to change their illustration here. So before the foundation of the world, uh, they would say God knew that Emma would make a free decision to become a Christian. Somehow then, before Emma was born, God knew of her free decision. So even at that time, Emma's free decision must have been inevitable. Why was it inevitable? Not because of Emma's free will, for Emma was not yet born. Not because of God's predestination, because the Arminian denies that possibility from the outset. It would seem that it's inevitable in question had some source other than either Emma or God. Now, you see what they're trying to say here? If God knows Emma's going to choose, then it's inevitable that she chooses. Well, why is it inevitable? It's either inevitable because God determined it, or it's inevitable for, because of Emma, what's it inevitable? There's got to be some source to make it inevitable. What makes it inevitable? Well, if you almost remove the inevit- an inevitability from God and you put it on someone else, that becomes an issue, all right? Does that make sense? All right, and and again, ultimately, it can't even be Emma making it inevitable because the it, the knowledge already exists before she's even born. So then what made it inevitable? Okay, if it's not God and if it's not Emma, is there a th- third possibility? Is it the force from Star Wars? Okay, No, we would reject that. Okay. We, we, I mean, look at me, oh, I like, oh now I understand the movie. Okay, no, all right, no, okay. Right. Now, this, this is the note they had that have under that. That is a scary possibility. and rejecting divine determinism. The many in effect, embraces a determinism coming from some mysterious other source. Another God? The devil? World history? And personal laws? In any case, this idea certainly does not leave much room for free will. But ultimately, God's predestination remains the key element. For, for God is the one who knew Emma's decision creates the world in such a way that Emma's decision will be made, the decisive factor is God's foreknowing creation. Creation is what sets the whole universe in motion. Is it too much to say that God's foreknowing creation causes Emma to make the decision she makes? Thus, even Arminianism implicitly concedes the Calvinist point without admitting it. Therefore, some. Arminians today have abandoned the premise that God foreknows everything and have moved to a view more akin to that of process theology, but this move is exceedingly uh, dubious from a scriptural standpoint. All right, so what point are they trying to make? All right, what are they, what's the point they're trying to make? If Emma, if God knows what Emma's going to do, then it's what? It's going to happen, it's inevitable, right? It's got to happen. Now, why is it inevitable? Either God, it's knowledge, it's got to happen, and he's got to work everything out that it's going to happen, right? I mean, all, all the circumstances have to work together, right? Like, for example, maybe the, re, one, the way Emma is going to believe is she's going to be born in a Christian family instead of living in a Muslim country. God has to work all of that out, right? right? Now, if you remove God from it, how can it be inevitable? Emma couldn't decide where she was going to be born. She couldn't decide if she was going to hear the gospel. She couldn't make all of those determinations because she wasn't even born. So what makes it inevitable? If it's not Emma, if it's not God, there has to be, right. And so ultimately you then destroy God. So you have a blind determinism, right? And no, we believe the reason it happened is because God knew Emma, chose Emma, and then worked everything out so that Emma would hear the gospel, and then he had to not just let her hear it. He had to do what? Give her the faith. Now, I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute. What about those who don't believe? I'm with you. I don't, like that. I don't like that either. On one hand, it should utterly make you want to fall on your face and cry and weep that God would do all of that for you. Why me? It's not because we're better than anybody else. Okay, look, David wasn't better than everyone else. I mean, look at the story between uh, Jacob and Esau. Was Jacob better than Esau? Jacob was garbage, man. Okay, right? Okay, that was, he was some Garbage. Right? But who did he love? Who did he hate? Before they did anything. Now, it, does it raise problems? Yes. Does it raise ethical questions? Yes. Do we believe it? May, do we, we may want to judge God for doing it. Yes. But let's make it very clear. If God doesn't foreknow and determine and ordain and choose and elect, there will be no saved people on this earth. Because none of us will choose God because no one seeketh God, no one understands God, no one wants God, because we all have a depraved nature. Does that make sense? So either you have to say it's not inevitable, and so therefore you almost have to say God does not know. Which is why really Arminianism only lasts if you don't think about it. If you start thinking about it, you're either going to move over to a more Calvinistic approach or you're going to move to open theology or what they refer to as process theology. Arminianism it only, you know how Arminianism lasts as long as you don't look underneath the glass. Arminianism has a written over it, do not break, dangerous, do not open. Right, they got police tape wrapped all around it because you start asking these questions, it does what? Falls apart. All right, stop right there. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. This is some very complicated truth, very powerful truth, and truth that I pray that anyone in this room and anyone listening online, if you're a Christian today, wherever you're listening, you may want to stop what you're doing and just weep because I can't even understand why you would choose any of us. I I pray that this would break all of us, humble all of us, and make us realize we don't deserve anything. We're, we're not Christians because we're better. We're not Christians because we're smarter. We're not Christians because of anything other than your grace, your mercy, your, your electing mercy and grace. It's not, no other reason. And I know it. sometimes we start thinking we're better than other people, but we're not. We, we're just recipients of mercy and grace that we do not deserve, we cannot earn, and we can't even keep if it was left to us. It's all because of you. Salvation is your is a work of yours from the start, during the middle of it, all the way to the end. And we thankful that you chose us and saved us. And we pray that you would have mercy and bring more people into your kingdom, according to your power and according to your. Eternal plan. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...